0: All right, turn to Daniel chapter 8, please. What we've been doing, this, this study that we've been on, Daniel, um, has been designed to move through rather quickly. Daniel's set up to where each chapter basically is an individual incident, story, or, or vision that Daniel has. And it begins at the beginning of the chapter and ends at the end of the chapter. And then the next chapter just kind of moves on. So we're able to take all 12 chapters of the book of Daniel basically and just say, today's chapter one, tomorrow's chapter two, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we're going to break from that model today. Um, last week we spent the whole time talking about the vision that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter eight. And what we're going to do this morning is I want us to just look at one verse that is actually Daniel's reaction to the vision that we talked about last week because I think it's very telling. Uh, if you've ever been a part of Sunday morning classes where they go through character studies, um, <clears throat> you can tell a lot about a person and their faith and their walk and, and what they've based their life on uh, based on how they react and how they respond to certain situations. It's, it's natural in life for us to do that. You can tell somebody's convictions. You can tell uh, what they've based their life on based on how they respond and react to different situations. And Daniel has a very unique Reaction to the vision that he saw in Daniel chapter eight. Now, just as a brief outline, if you weren't here last week, Daniel chapter eight is a pretty um, unsettling vision that that Daniel has. Um, there are two verses that, ha- that that provide hope, but the general thrust of the vision that Daniel has is really one of um, of a. Of, of bad times that are coming towards the children of Israel. Not in his, not in Daniel's era, but several hundred years later. We see in Daniel chapter 8 that he has a vision, that there's a ram, that there's a goat, that they have horns, and that they fight each other, and that one gets trampled by the other. And then there's an actual, very clear interpretation of the vision that that the first, the, the ram is the, uh, um, the current kingdom of the Persians and the Medes and the and the second uh, goat that is coming is is uh, the, the Greek Empire. The horn is Alexander the Great. Like it's it's really laid out pretty 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 nicely, um, but it also references this one little horn that grows, and it's and it's a certain king that will cause specific um, persecution to the children of Israel. Uh, historical documents say that Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes came in. He was uh, in the succession of Alexander the Great. He came in 175 ish BC and he came into Jerusalem and he desecrated the temple and slaughtered uh, wholesale Jews. Uh, again, extra biblical documents say that uh, within three days, between 40 and 80,000 people were killed, Jews. Um, and not only that, but he rewrote the calendar so that they couldn't celebrate their holidays. Um, people ran for the mountains and all that kind of stuff. And when he died, and there was a revolt by the Jews led by the Maccabees, if you've heard the Maccabees, uh, they were able to uh, reclaim the temple and rededicate the temple. And now, um, modern-day Jews celebrate Hanukkah, which is a celebration of the retaking of the temple in 165 BC. Okay, so that's that's where we where we came from. But the gist of the of the vision that Daniel has is largely these are going to be bad times, and the children of Israel are going to be trampled, and they're going to be desecrated, and they're going to be uh, the the stars of the saints will be pulled down from heaven and persecuted, and the and the and the altar will be desecrated, and you won't be able to sacrifice. So it's 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 pretty it's pretty dark, it's pretty heavy, and it's pretty specific. Now, look at verse twenty-seven. All right, this is the end of the chapter, Daniel chapter eight, verse twenty-seven it says this, And I, Daniel, was overcome, and I lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Again, And I, Daniel, was overcome, and I lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. I don't want to take too much for granted here, but Daniel is a um, he's a prophet. You know, by definition, he is a a prophet, which is not just a it's not something that you're trained in. It is something very specifically that that you're given by God. Any um, Bible dictionary. This definition comes from the Thomas Nelson Bible Dictionary. Defines a prophet as a person who spoke for God and who communicated God's me- messages courageously to God's chosen people, the na- nation of Israel. And one of the things that prophets did, not exclusively, uh, but was, was, was foretell the future. Now, Daniel, what we see throughout the whole book of Daniel is that he is constantly telling the future. King Nebuchadnezzar has dreams, and he can't interpret them, and all the magicians and wise men can't either. But Daniel comes in there, and be, because God specifically gives him the interpretation, he's able to come in and say, oh, well, this is what the image of the tree means. This is what the image of the... Uh, giant statue means, and the head of gold is this, and the feet of, of clay is this, and this is all that's going to happen. And so Daniel is a, a future teller by, by God's gifting. And as Daniel has these visions, um, even though they're not all vi- specifically interpreted for Daniel, they're all broadly inter- interpreted at, at some level. And the truth and the principle that God is wanting Daniel to get out of the vision, Daniel's getting. Does that make sense? Okay. So Daniel might not know all the specifics. Like Daniel didn't know that it was Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes, by name. All right. But he knew that there was a guy coming later who was going to be this bad, bad dude to the children of Israel. So I think that it's worth kind of asking the question. Um, why, why was Daniel so... Bothered to the point of being physically ill for days at this news. I mean, I, I definitely, definitely don't want to be, um, callous to the the prospect of future suffering, um, but this was something that, that prophetically Daniel knew wasn't going to happen in his his time, his time. Uh, over and over, the angel of the Lord tells Daniel, "This is for far in the future. This is for future events. This is happening later. This is." For a time far from now, and by the time Daniel receives this, uh, he's in his seventies, maybe, which in Bible times is pretty pretty old. All right. So, if if I knew, for example, again, I hope that I'm not a callous, bitter man, <laughs> but if I knew that my, you know, not my daughter or my grandchild or my great grandchildren or my great 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 grandchildren were going to go through hard times, I think I would be sad about that but he's physically sickened for days okay um why and he's and he and he and he has promises you know so of all people daniel who is a prophet he knows uh the books of the prophets that came before him and he's he's quoting at other points of the book of daniel the book of jeremiah that that talks about the coming redeemer that talks about the messiah even the most recent vision that he had there are still promises that this bad dude that's coming, he will fall, but not by human hands. It says in chapter eight, you know, and it says that the that the um, that the temple will be uh, rededicated. You know, so he has promises and he believes in a future hope. Um, so he knows that in the end, God's children will win, uh, but yet still he is worried and sickened to the point of being leveled for days. He knows the future. He's a prophet. He studied in the text of uh, the Old Testament. So what would bother him so much uh, that he'd be sickened for days? This is the question that I ask myself. Um, And I want us just to think about this for a second. If I got news that I was uh, diagnosed with A terrible disease um, and that the that the prognosis was that uh, it was going to be a long downward path until the day that I died Um, but I was feeling good today Um, but that likely it was going to be a a painful progression that would be disheartening right yeah that's fair I mean even as (laughs) even for a Christian um, that would be difficult news, news to bear. Um, I think what would be more difficult news for me, um, is if my, my wife was diagnosed with that or my child, you know what I mean? It's worse because it's people that I, I care for. I mean, if I were diagnosed with that, I wouldn't be happy about it. I would, I would mourn that. Uh, I would probably have fear, um, and I I mean it would be one of those things where you just your heart would sink. You know, like this is bad news. Like this is um, I'm, I, I'm I guess got sick in my stomach a little bit just by hearing this. But if I heard that news for somebody that was near and dear to me, like like my wife or my child, that the rock in my stomach would be heavier, don't you think? And Daniel, knowing what's coming for his, his people, his chosen people, is, is re- really responding similarly. He is sickened at the prospect of this terrible, this terrible news, even though it's not, it's not him. Um, whenever you hear of something terrible and you respond with um, kind of that sickened feeling, it's an appropriate response. When you, when you hear about terrible things and you respond with, with feelings, uh, If you, you feel terrible, that's, that's a natural response, whether you're Christian or you're not a Christian. Um, I'm on Facebook. Most people are on Facebook. And I've been seeing people post all these things about terrible things that are happening to Christians in Iraq. Have you been seeing those? Now, I haven't clicked on them because it makes my stomach sick. You know what I mean? You guys have seen it? all right? These t- like people are, are killing uh, Christians and Christian children in Iraq, and I'm like, well... I don't know what to believe about Facebook. I haven't done my research. I don't know if it's true. But I know, I know one thing is that when I saw the headline, it made me sick a little bit, literally. Like, I didn't, I didn't throw up, but I remember thinking, I'm scrolling past that because that is, that is that's, that's unsettling if that headline is true. You know? That's unsettling. And so Daniel is hearing these terrible things that are coming, and he is responding really appropriately that he's sickened by it, that, that he has compassion for those that are coming behind him, of his family, of the children of Israel, even though it's not him, even though it's not his child or grandchildren, that he is, he is responding. That's really what compassion is, isn't it? He's responding compassionately by feeling for their hurt, by feeling for their pain. You know, in John 11, it's the story of Jesus and the death of Lazarus. Are you familiar with that story? And it's the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And when you go back and you look at the whole story of Jesus uh, weeping, and it's not Jesus you know, felt bad or Jesus had a trickle, but that Jesus wept bitterly, you know, that he, he may have even um, wept in such a way that he was, he was wailing out of uh, compassion. For what is the question? Because, you know, in Daniel chapter 11, what you see is you see that um, Jesus gets news that Lazarus is sick. But he tells his disciples, um, specifically, the sickness will not end in death. He says it straight out. And they say, well, we've got to go. He says, well, Lazarus is only sleeping. And his disciples say, well, why are we waiting for a few days before we go back to see him? And he over and over and over and over says that it's going to be okay. He's going to live. I mean, so Jesus knows, you know, the miracle that Jesus performs in raising Lazarus back from the dead is not a surprise to him, you know? So why, therefore, would Jesus weep bitterly for this guy that he's getting ready to to call back and everybody's going to rejoice? And and what you see in the text there is that Jesus is just straight up compassionate for the hurting people that are all around Lazarus uh, because they're mourning and weeping over the death of, of a loved one. And so even though... In the mind, it seems illogical to me for Jesus to weep and wail for the death of somebody who he is getting ready to draw uh, back from the dead and give him new life, and everybody's going to rejoice and see the greater truths of the eternal kingdom. Jesus still weeps, you know, bitterly, for the loss of a friend. We see that Jesus himself... um, Suffered in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, but he knew he was going to be raised he knew he knew the future hope he knew what this was all about. He knew that uh, mankind would have uh, salvation offered to them, he knew that this was part of the eternal plan he knew that um, uh, that he was going to be raised and be seated at the right hand of God. but Jesus prayed so with such suffering in the garden that. You know, you know the story that he, he he bled out of his pores because of the anguish that he had. Even though he knew future hope and future truth, suffering is a tough, odd thing. And you all have probably heard the lies that you know once you become a Christian, um, you know you don't you don't suffer anymore, or that God fixes everything in your life. And that's just a lie. <laughs> um, you know, a, a lot of times it's easy. You know, I've heard people, I think, innocently share their testimony and say, you know, once I became a Christian, you know, things just got all better, you know, and things started kind of going my way. And I mean, there's, there's elements of truth in that. But I mean, if, if you lose a child, like somebody in our church did recently, one of our elders just lost their 17-year-old daughter, Blah, two, three weeks ago, um, they're suffering. Straight up. They're believers. They put their hope in God. Um, it's humbling to talk with them and hear them proclaim the goodness of God, but they are suffering right now. You know? Like, faith in, in God doesn't, doesn't take the, the pain of chemo away. You know? But what faith in God does is it provides a hope for a greater perspective of that there's a bigger plan going on here and now. And that what suffering does is that suffering reminds us of the fallen condition of this world, that we are not in heaven yet, and this isn't the end. But you know what? For now, things are bad. And things are not easy. And things are uh, things that, that the fallenness of the world is sickening, literally to us. Whether we're seeing the results of sin, which is which is death, you know, this the sweet girl that died wasn't she just we don't know what it was, but she died suddenly. We we don't know why or what, but it it it, it we're a fallen world. Sin and death entered the world as a result of sin. And you know, that, 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 that draws mourning out from us. That draws pain out from us. And when Daniel saw this and heard this bad news, even though he knew the truth of the prophets that came before him, even though he knew the promises of, of a future hope and the coming Messiah, he still was, was sickened by it. What hope does, now that we have the gospel, is that hope provides us perspective that isn't available without the gospel. That that when terrible things happen, and we respond by feeling terrible about them, that's an appropriate response. And what hope in the gospel offers is that this is not all there is. When terrible things happen, or when you receive terrible news, um, I think that there there, there are two ways to receive that. There's one in where you legitimately feel terrible for the terrible news, whether it's the, the, the death or the diagnosis of, of, a, of a friend or a family member of a loved one, and that, that is legitimately terrible news. When the gospel is then applied to that terrible news, it doesn't take the situation away. You know, There's still cancer or there's still death. But what it offers <clears throat> is it offers the, the, the future hope that we celebrate when we go to the the funeral of a believer, you know? You still mourn, but you know that we don't mourn like those who have no hope, it says in First Thessalonians. That we, we, don't mour- we mourn, but we don't mourn the same way. When we don't apply the gospel truth to suffering and terrible situations that come into our life, what we, what we do then is we take that terrible, horrible suffering situation and then we add a, a level of further suffering and hope. Does that make sense? When we forget the gospel or we don't apply the gospel or we don't apply the future hope that is offered to us through the gospel, we take this and we add despair to it. We add that this this is the end. And I tell you what, if if you go to a funeral of somebody who is not a believer, you have right to despair at that funeral. You know? Because it's like this is different. There is no. I mean, we can we can we can say we're celebrating this man's life. True. But he's in hell right now. That is despairing. That is that is bad bad news. And if as as believers, we don't apply the gospel to our situations, um, we add a we take a bad situation. And we add a despair that doesn't need to be there. If that makes sense. I went to a funeral a couple a month month ago, a month and a half ago, of a sweet woman who was diagnosed with cancer. um, She's a believer, and um, the stories that came out of her life once she was diagnosed um, made me just choke up out of awe for and they, they said as, they, as people shared stories of her life they talked about how she it was a tough road at the end um, so we're not ignoring that tough road, it was still tough and it involved suffering but she applied the gospel to it she, her light shone brightly um, because she had a greater hope And so I think when you look at a verse like this and you say, well, how could Daniel lay sick for several days when he was a prophet? He knew the future hope. It wasn't happening in his lifetime. We see that he had compassion. We see that terrible things were going to happen. He felt terribly about it. But we get to see later his response of perseverance and faithfulness and still trust in a greater hope. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days, period. The second part of this three-part verse says this. And then I arose, and I went about the king's business. Daniel, from the beginning of his time in in captivity, brief overview, all right? The children of Israel lived uh, in sin and breaking the covenant of God for for generations. And God's judgment came, and God's judgment came in the form Of the nation of Israel being captured and conquered and taken away as exiles into another country Babylon this is part of the punishment Daniel knew and he saw it coming based on the prophets before him and ever since Daniel, scholars say was a young teenager, he entered into Babylonian captivity um, he went to work he went to work for the king from the very beginning he was trained in the business of the king now we know the cool story in Daniel chapter 1 that he wasn't going to eat the king's food, and that God gave him uh, a special portion of, of ability to learn and wisdom. Uh, but he went to school. He got his graduate degree in Babylonianism, <laughs> that he, he learned the laws that they had. He learned their literature. He learned the ways of the king, and he learned how to be a servant of the, the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar. And um, he graduated top of his class, <laughs> And, and throughout the book of Daniel, what we see is that he is continually put in, in positions of, of leadership and authority, and he just went about the king's work, even though this was not, they, were, they were not Christian kings. He served several kings in his time in captivity. Um, he even uh, had favor with the kings. He even stood up for the kings. And these are pagan kings. Now, I know that maybe you, know, you look at your job And you look at your boss and maybe say, I, too, serve a pagan king (laughs) Um, who has uh, human sacrifices behind the photocopier. (laughs) You know, just an evil dude. I mean, I don't know your particular situation. But, um, you know, when you look back on these situations and you see that God did use Daniel supernaturally, I think sometimes you can then make the conclusion that I don't think is a fair conclusion and say, well, God used him supernaturally, so therefore every, every king looked at him as like the golden child. Oh, you have supernatural powers. Uh, so therefore, I'm going to elevate you because I'm going to tap into your God and just take advantage of you, basically. Um, but that's not what we see throughout the book of Daniel. We see that Daniel is routinely marginalized. We see that he is uh, ignored, that he's looked down on, that he's forgotten uh, King Belshazzar with the writing on the wall. Um, he is... He, it says his skin changes color because he's so bothered by the fact that there's writing on the wall. And he's like, who who can help? And uh, uh, the queen. You know, back in the day, women didn't have positions of authority, but it was the queen that, that was finally like, there's a guy here who's done this in the past. You know, remember him? And they bring him in, and they describe him as one of the exiles. You know, I mean, that was... A racial slur, basically. Um, that he uh, Daniel has coworkers that are trying to kill him, uh, literally kill him. Not just get get not just you know get the uh, get the raise, you know get the get the advancement, um, get the promotion, but like uh, you know Daniel the Lion's Den was was really a, a jealousy in the work, workplace. Because he had authority, and these other magicians, they didn't. And like, how dare, how, how come a Jew has authority over us, is, is what they were saying, you know? Surely not. You know, so wait, what, why don't we make this law with a little loophole, and so we can get him out of picture, you know? And then when Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den, and, and God saves his life, and King Darius um, has, has uh, shown favor to Daniel, but we don't know why. Like, at this point, Daniel hasn't, you know, done miraculous things for, for Darius that we see recorded. Um, so I think a, a very logical conclusion is that Daniel was a good employee. He was faithful. He did his work. You know, a lot of scholars speculate that Daniel wasn't with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they fell down to worship the, the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar put up they were cast in the fiery furnace because he was probably out of town on the king's business. He got sent on a business trip, and so he didn't happen to be in the valley at that point when they were commanded to do that, you know? Because it says everybody was gathered, but Daniel wasn't there. And so, you know, why, why would Darius, this pagan king, favor Daniel? Well, he's probably respectable, you know? He's probably honest, probably somebody that the king could actually trust in great measure. It says, you know, different points throughout the book of Daniel. We see... Uh, That he has given managerial positions, he's given uh, counselor positions, um, he's appointed ruler over territories, that he is um, in charge over several people, like, this isn't just, hey, sit over here and interpret your God for me. Like, he's just, he's given legitimate, everyday, regular, the working out of culture, the working out of societal work that doesn't seem to have an eternal purpose. You know he's managing people he's making sure people are obeying the laws in the subdivisions, making sure the HOAs are all correct right? I mean he's just doing the work that God has called him to do and when Daniel's thrown into the lion's den he says to Darius he says king I have done you no wrong you know kind of like what's up with that I, I've done nothing wrong before God and before you king, I've done nothing wrong. He even stands up for Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king. Uh, when he's interpreting one of his dreams, it says that is going to fall, and he's going to fall hard. Um, and Daniel says, may this not be about you, but for your enemies, O oh king. Like, he's respectful to the pagan king. Um, yet, at the, still t- at, at the same time, he's doing work, he's doing the job that, he's, he's, that God has placed him to do in this pagan culture, in this pagan world, doing everyday work. And it says that he was bothered to the point of being sick, and then, you know what? He just went back to work. He just carried on. He just went and did what he did before, after he got feeling better. He called in sick, and he just went back to work. I, I really believe that if God were to have... Uh, like a billboard top one hundred list of most faithful people, um, most faithful Christians. That that top one hundred list would likely not be um, pastors and Christian authors and and those people that that we we maybe think of when we think of the faithful. Does that make sense? I'm 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 being a little silly here, but. If you're, if you're called to be a missionary for 70 years in the dark parts of Africa, um, then, then we can look on that and say, wow, what faithful service. You know? I mean, boy, that person is faithful. But if God has called you to that, you better go. You just better go. And God will use you as, as he will. If, if God has called you to be, uh, to stay in Mount Pleasant, and be an accountant. Um, you better do that. You know? That God is, is, what we see in Scripture, that God blesses faithfulness. You know? That that your impact, that your, per, your perceived impact on the kingdom is not what determines your reward in heaven. It's your faithfulness. Store up treasures in heaven. You know, I think of my papa. He's dead now. Amos. Not a good dad, granddad name? (laughs) Amos. (laughs) Um, He was a welder, you know? Didn't go to college uh, for decades. He retired as a welder. But Papa, in the living room, had one of those glider rockers, you know what I'm talking about? And like, if it were a regular rocker, it probably would have worn its way through the floor and he would have fallen in the basement, you know? Because he just rocked that thing out. And I just remember Papa, on the glider, every time I'd go over to Papa's house, brown Bible with the gold on the... You know what I'm talking about? Papa read his Bible. And when Papa couldn't read his Bible anymore because the print was too small, there was um, the off-brand Walkman on top of the Bible. You know, the cassette player... (laughs) <laughs> and hit the Bible on the tape, and then that, then he died listening to the Bible. Like he ended his days. And like welder Papa, what impact did you make? I mean, we can go down, you know, well he impacted his family, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But like, I can see Papa being on that top 100 faithful list because God called him to be a faithful welder, loving his wife. Whew. <laughs> I'm getting a little emotional. <laughs> And that's what God called him to do, you know. And I think I'm not sure why I'm getting so emotional. <laughs> I think that um, there's joy in this, you know, that we can deceive ourselves into thinking that um, that you're not making an impact because maybe you're not going on mission trips and you're not, you know, a pastor or you're not a community group leader or you're not something that you view as having a bigger impact. And so maybe in your mind, you downgrade the true calling of your life as a believer, which is faithfulness, you know? And if God has called you to be in the medical world or the legal world, or fast food, um, then go do it, you know? Do it in the midst of life's ups and downs and frustrations and sufferings, um, and go to work. Lauren and I were having an interesting conversation about how this world is held together um, by a bunch of people doing regular jobs, and I believe that there's common grace that falls in in place here. but God has not called us all to be pastors and missionaries, you know. That that God in His in His economy and in His provision uh, uses us most in the everyday, you know, in the conversations that you have with coworkers and neighbors, and sometimes the most godly, righteous, noble thing that you can do is go to work. And do it for the glory of God. And represent Him. Do it on His strength. Work for non believers. Work around non believers. um, And represent your King well. And I believe that that will draw great reward. And I believe that that is part of what faithfulness and perseverance and hope is. Daniel just went to work. He arose, and he went about the pagan king's business. There's a Puritan prayer. um, There's a book called The Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers. And um, Lauren and I will read one every so often as a devotion. Buster uses them a fair amount. Um, I didn't used to like pre-written prayers, but they're very thought-provoking, passionate, prayers and we read one the other day and here's part of it it's a prayer called morning needs it says teach me how to use the world and not abuse it to improve my talents to redeem my time to walk in wisdom towards those without and in kindness to those within to do good to all men and especially to my fellow christian and to thee be the glory, isn't that cool? To improve my talents, meaning the things that you're just y'all. I mean, you, you, everyone here has got gifts and talents, you know. And I'm not talking about necessarily spiritual gifts, but like you're gifted at. Many of you are just gifted at what you do, <laughs> you know, and what you, Some of you, what some of you went to school for, or jobs that you have found that you, you're just good at, or you enjoy improve my talents, redeem my time for eternal purposes, and walk in wisdom towards those without, those difficult believers that you, or unbelievers that you work around, and in kindness to those within. And to do good to all men, and especially to my fellow Christian, and to thee be the glory. Part of faith and part of perseverance, I believe, is simply just going to work. <laughs> And the last part of this verse says, But I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. The whole nature of faith is that it involves an element that you are not in control of. If you were legitimately in control of it, it would require no faith. But faith, by definition, includes an element that you can't control. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and is certain of what we do not see with our eyes. We want to see it. We want to be certain. We want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt how this is going to work out or why these things that may be horrible are happening in my life. So that I can then justify and say, okay. Well, I lost my job here because I know that a greater one is opening up, you know? Or I broke up with this person here because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that wasn't the end all be all person. And I just know that, you know, there's somebody around the corner who's for me. Um, We want that. But that's not faith. Faith always involves an element that we are not in control of. And when that element that we are not in control of, Yet the best of us, we fall into despair, or confusion, or anger, or bitterness. It's natural. It's where we default as humans. And that is why God is calling us to something bigger, something better, that says you don't have it all figured out. You don't know how this works out. And I'm not going to tell you how this all works out because you are not God and I am and I'm calling you something greater and something better. And the avenue of you receiving that calling is your faith in not yourself, but me. Um, since faith involves an element that we are not in, in control of, since that's a piece of it, We are then called to persevere through those sufferings. We are then called to persevere through the things that we don't understand. We are then called to persevere through the things that are upsetting to us. We are then called to persevere through the things that appall us. Flip to a well-known passage with me, James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 2. James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And trials here are sufferings, misunderstandings, frustrations, things that don't go your way. Maybe even as far as persecutions. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may become perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Who doesn't want that? Perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That there is a workout involved. There's a strengthening of the faith muscles that happens only through trials and persecutions. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But... Let him ask in faith. Faith involves an element that you are not in control of. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Bump down to verse 12. Blessed is what I want, to be blessed, and you to be blessed. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, who perseveres under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The fact that Daniel was appalled that did not understand did not mean he didn't have faith. Faith always involves an element that you are not in control of. Faith always understands always involves an element that you don't fully understand. That God's calling on our life is, to, is, is very specifically trust in me. Not trust in yourself to figure it out. Trust in me. Why? Because I am trustworthy. And I am worthy of your faith. I am worthy of being that solid rock foundation that you can then build your house upon. <clears throat> Even though you don't know what storms and trials might come, I am the foundation, I'm the refuge, I am the one that you can trust and believe in. Even though you are sickened by this news, even though that this terrible news is making you feel terrible, even though this legitimately, literally, physically hurts, even though it doesn't make any sense, and you thought you had it figured out, and your world may or may not have just crashed about you. And you don't even see how this could possibly work out for your benefit, for God's glory and for your benefit. Trust in me you Count it joy. Boy, that's hard. Say, thank you God for the diagnosis. <laughs> Count it all joy when you face the pushing of your faith, when you actually don't understand. But have faith in me. I had a tough conversation with a former student of mine um, that I really worked a lot with. In discipling, and he has unfortunately walked down that road that you're always warned about in college, you know what I mean, and he came back, and we had coffee, and he says, I'm not a Christian anymore, I don't believe, and um, that's tough, you know, um, but I've had that conversation before, and um, I'm going to keep loving him. Uh, He knows what he needs to know. Um, We had a good time at coffee. Um, But I believe God's at work. You know? I don't know when, I don't know how, but I believe that God is at work in this kid's life. Um, And I think that there are times in my life when I would have heard news like this and would have been uh, really like breath knocked out of me. Like, what? Like, and maybe that was my own pride of like, but all that we did, you know? Um, But I've seen God work through people's lives. Um, I've seen people walk walk away I've seen people deny him Um, I've seen people come back I've seen God work in crazy ways even if it doesn't work out the way that I think or thought Um, I mourn for this guy I hope for this guy Um, but I believe God's at work and I can trust that Daniel suffered uh, when he heard terrible news, and it was an appropriate response. Daniel, hearing the news, went back to work. Um, Daniel was uh, in a position where I'm sure that he was questioning, God, I've seen you make crystal clear to me visions before. Why don't I understand this more fully? but he had faith. He had faith in the God that had proved himself in times past, and he had faith in the hope and the future promises of the coming Messiah. Which turned out to be true we see in the coming of Christ uh, 500 years later. So, you know, in our life, there'll be suffering. You know that. But it'll hurt. In our life, we're called to faith. We're called to, to, to know and believe and build our house on a rock that is greater than this life. And we're called to go about the business of the day for the sake of, of, of a greater kingdom. And in the middle of times of just not knowing, we're called to trust the things that we do now and that God is in control of it all and that He's trustworthy. So be encouraged from Daniel and his response even though I believe at first you can read it and be like, what? How could you respond this way, Daniel? Um, but he's a man that we can look to as an example. Let's pray. Father, may Father, may we go stronger in our resolve and in our faith as a result of life's ups and downs. Father, as a result of not understanding things that happen in life, may we fall more heavily on your promises. Father, that you are working a greater plan and that you will redeem us. (coughs) That you will call us to a greater place. Father, as you said in Romans, that you are working all things together for our good, but first for your glory. But they are both working Father, I pray for those in this room that may be uh, suffering right now. Father, that they would turn in trust all the more. Father, that you would give them a greater hope and confidence to help them through this time of suffering. Father, if there are those in this room that are um, maybe just struggling with their job, that you would give them uh, a confidence that they are that they are doing your work in the world. Father, I thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen.